Tonight, I want us to um, consider the atonement. So I want to go through some scriptures um, last and talk about the atonement. Last week, um, we talked about sin. So, um, and I, you know, I said at the end of the night, uh, there's, there's a remedy. There's a remedy. Thank God. <laughs> Thank the Lord for His grace. There's a remedy for sin. Because when you just look at the sin problem, it's pretty bleak. And uh, if, that, if we were just left there, well, you know, it would, it would be, uh, we, we would just despair, I suppose. I mean, we wouldn't have any hope. But God has provided a remedy for our sin problem in His great grace. Um, and the way that He's done that is through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to start with just a simple definition here, and I'll tell you why I like it. Um, of, of the atonement, <coughs> this is um, Wayne Grudem's uh, definition from his systematic theology, real simple, and he just says this, the atonement is the work of Christ, I'm sorry, the atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. Um, now, here's uh, one reason I like that, um, that description is because he includes the life of Christ, and it, it is just as important in terms of, of forgiveness of sins. Christ lived for us as well as died for us. In fact, you could also say uh, he, he rose again for us. Paul says in Corinthians, um, if there's no resurrection, then uh, we're still in our sins. So all, all of that is part of the atoning work of Christ. So his life and death. So the atonement is the work of Christ, the work that Christ did in His life and death to earn our salvation. So you see, salvation is by works. It's the work of Christ. <laughs> it's the work of Christ. You and I can't work and earn it, but Christ did work and earn it in our behalf. So that's good to know. That's that's. Uh, that's the atonement. We'll, we'll dive in a little bit and look at some, some scriptures here. Um, in fact, let me, do, let me do this in question form. What's, what's the first time that this concept of atonement emerges in, this, in the scripture, at least, at least by implication? I mean, there may not be, uh, like, it may not be explicitly stated, but I mean, wh where's the first time that it pops up that you see it in the scripture, the concept of atonement? Go ahead. Tell us. Tell us. Amen. Amen. So, and, and then that's awesome, isn't it? Right off the bat. Right off the bat. You, you, you got, for, for, even when he's pronouncing curses upon them, he gives the promise of the seed of the woman. Um, but then, as, as Brother Attaway pointed out, you, you, right there, um, it, it, it seems, you know, I mean, we don't know exactly how, how much time elapses in some of these things, but, but immediate, it seems, right after the fall, um, he provides covering, covering for their sin. And so there's, a, there's a, a, a hint there, you know, there's a type there of what he would do ultimately in, in Christ, um, atone, in Christ's atoning work for our sins. So as that Brother Attaway pointed out, um, it's obvious there you, you, God uh, killed an animal to provide this, the skins um, for their their covering, so you got a you got a sacrifice right right there um, in the Garden of Eden, right off the bat. Okay, so it's a it's a concept that emerges very quickly uh, in the Bible, and then it's and then it's it's there the rest of the way. Um, 
you've got the whole uh, Levitical system of the of the Old Testament, the um, the, the sacrificial system where they're they're killing all manner of animals, sheep, sheep and goats and uh, doves and so forth, pigeons, um, in, as a as atonement for various uh, various sins and so forth. Again, that's a, just a type of what ultimately would be done in Christ. So yeah, in, in Genesis 3, that's where Brother Attaway was referring to. You've got God providing covering for their sin. Um, and then, think about this one too. This is a very popular and uh, well-known uh, narrative. What about when God commands Abraham to offer Isaac? <laughs> and Abraham goes to do it. You know the story, right? Abraham goes to do it, but then what, what happens when, when he raises his hand to slay Isaac? Angel of the Lord stops him. What's, what, what's there caught in the bushes? Amen. Amen. Ram caught in the bushes. God provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac. So again, you got a picture. You got a picture of the of, of uh, the work of Christ there, in in Isaac. Number one, because he's he's at least he's going. He's on the way to be sacrificed. I mean, there's somewhat of a picture there, <laughs> even though he doesn't wind up being the sacrifice. But uh, then God provides a substitute. He commands Abraham to kill Isaac, but before he does it, God provides a substitute in in the ram that's caught in the bushes. So. That's a uh, uh, that's that's a great example of trust, isn't it? Trusting God, and it's a great um, testimony to to not only to Abraham's trust, but but to God's character. In other words, there's a reason Abraham trusted God. You know, a, a lot of a lot of times today we get accused of operating on blind faith. People like the word, <laughs> the phrase blind faith, and and they think that Christianity. Um, is a blind faith, and sometimes you'll hear uh, ex- examples like Abraham used. You know, if God called him out of his country; he didn't even know where he was going, but he went. But that's not blind faith. I mean, a- Abraham knew who was talking to him, and he trusted God. You know, he knew something about God's God's character. In other words, he had a he had a good sound basis for his trust in God because God was trustworthy. And so there's, there's another example. He, he goes to, to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God because he knows God will somehow keep his promise to raise up seed through Isaac. That's a lot of trust. <laughs> All right, and that's Genesis 22, by the way, if, 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 uh, if you want to make a note of that. Hebrews, um, um, Joel, if you don't mind, um, read Hebrews 9.22 for me. Hebrews So the law, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, 
So there has to be death, which, um, again, as Brother, <coughs> Brother Attaway pointed out earlier, um, even though the, in, in Genesis 3, um, even though the, the sacrifice of the, of the animal that provides the skin is not explicitly mentioned, um, since God does make them coverings of skin, I mean, we assume, I think rightly so, um, we assume that uh, an animal was killed. So something had to die. And this, of course, affirms that, uh, that concept. In fact, he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So um, there has to be death of something to atone for, or someone to atone for sins. Now that's, that's the principle behind, behind the atonement. In other words, some, something has to die to, to, uh, to pay for sin. God doesn't sweep sin under the rug, so to speak. He doesn't overlook it. So somebody has to pay. We know from Romans, right, that we're... We're all sinners, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that the wages of sin is death. So again, there, there has to be shed blood for sin. In other words, the wages of sin is death. You sin, you die. That's, that's the penalty for, for sinning. So there has to be death in order to pay for sin. Well, the idea of atonement... Um, in, in this case, and we're, we're talking about substitutionary atonement, the idea of atonement is that, that someone would take our place. And in, the, in the, uh, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, of course, they used animals. They, even prior to the, the, mosaic, um, the mosaic system, they used, they used animals in sacrifice to God. Uh, one we just talked about in Genesis 3. Um, the other one in Genesis 22 uh, with Abraham and Isaac is another one, but there, there are you know, other examples. But um, there had to be a covering for sin, and they would use animal sacrifices uh, for that purpose. But does the blood of animals really take away sin? No. Go ahead and read it for us. Justice. That's right. Amen. 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 For for in order for justice to be served, right? Just like like you, brother Adway, just said, the the penalty has to be meted out. I mean, you can't you can't just say, well, we'll, we'll overlook it. And sometimes that happens, you know, in in in. Uh, uh, in human experience, you know, in human courts or, or so forth, some, somebody's maybe guilty, and they may be, and they may get a light sentence, or they may get set free before their sentence is over, pardoned, or something like that. But um, God is just, so He's He's not going to overlook sin. 
So, so penalty has to be paid. Now, we, we were just talking about, you know, that in fact, the writer of Hebrews testifies that the, the, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. So animal sacrifices don't actually take away sin. What they did was picture um, the ultimate sacrifice that would remove our sin. But they didn't actually take away sin. Somebody has to die for it. Well, could another human being have died in our place? I mean, besides Jesus? No. Could, but it wouldn't have done anything, would it? Because <laughs> they have the same problem. That's right. Sin. So, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, in one sense, you know, it might be uh, noble in some ways if somebody's willing to, to die for us, but um, it's not going to accomplish anything in terms of our salvation. There had to be somebody who could actually, um, who was actually worthy um, to to meet God's justice. So Christ did that for us. I want to, I uh, and nobody else was qualified, by the way, ever was or ever will be, uh, and we're not qualified to pay for ourselves. I mean, you might say, well, you know, I just pay my own debts, but this, this is one that we would never, ever pay up. Um, I want to um, look at a word here. Uh, it's used four times in the New Testament. The first time's in Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25. This is one word that has this concept built into it that we're talking about. one of Paul's long sentences here so let me let me uh for there is no distinction this is middle of verse 22 for there is no distinction verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so there we go we're all sinners and are justified by his grace when he says no dis- distinction there um what he's talking about in these first few chapters is that uh, there's no distinction ethnically, you know, Jew or Gentile, all have sinned. So it doesn't matter if you're Jew, which, you know, they would have considered themselves, um, and they, they would have thought of themselves as not needing repentance. That's why they had trouble. When, when John the Baptist came along and, and uh, was preaching repentance and baptism, they didn't think they needed to be baptized. After all, we have Abraham as our, as our father, and, and uh, you know, we're, the, we're the ones who are righteous. It's the rest of the world that's, that's messed up. <laughs> and so what Paul is doing pretty much the same thing here that John the Baptist was doing, which was calling all to repentance. And so he's saying there's no distinction. Jew or Gentile, all have sinned. Again, that's verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your nationality, your skin color, your gender, doesn't matter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, verse 24, are justified by His grace as a gift. And he's making his case here that justification is not by works, but by, uh, by grace. It's the gift of God. So he says, all are, all are justified again, Jew and Gentile, both justified the same way by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is, is, is saying emphatically there's one way, there's one way to be right with God. We, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one remedy for that, one solution for that. There's only one way to be restored, to be reconciled, to God. You know, of course, the idea with sin is that we're in rebellion and, and we're alienated from God. The idea of justification is now the, we're cleared of guilt. Our guilt is taken away. Our sin is taken away. The penalty is taken away. It's removed. And Paul is saying there's, there's only one way to be justified that is declared not guilty by God 
and that is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a gift of grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, and here's the word I was getting to, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to, to be received by faith. Now, what in the world is a propitiation? <laughs> it's not a word we use every day, is it? I mean, you know. And, uh, amen. Amen. Like that's a great way to satisfaction is 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 a, is a great way to think about it. So so how does it how does it do that? How does it satisfy the Amen. Essentially, there's, there's two things that go on with propitiation. <clears throat> One is um, often referred to as expiation, and that's, that's, the, that's the removal. In fact, some people, some, some commentators you, you may read, they, they try to limit this word to that, just the removal of our sin. Um, but I think there's more to it. I'll get to that in a second. But, but uh, first of all, it, it does do that. That is part of, 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 of uh, the work of the, the propitiatory work of Christ. Christ, our propitiation. He removes our sin. So Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now, as the gift of God of, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, the redemption which God has provided in Jesus Christ, our sin is taken away. So that's why he can talk about being justified here verse 24 all are justified by his grace because that's that's like a that's like a a judge slamming down the gavel and saying not guilty <laughs> and that's that's justified yeah that's a glory that's a glorious that's a glorious declaration especially when you're guilty <laughs> you know when you when you're guilty and you know you're guilty and the judge says not guilty. That's awesome. That's expiation. I mean, Christ takes away, removes our sin. So, I mean, like it, like it wasn't ours. He took it. That's right. Amen. He he bore it. He bore our sin. I'm not I'm not leaving Romans uh, entirely here, but I want to look at uh, Isaiah 53 for a minute. <laughs> That's Isaiah 53:4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. <laughs> so that's the great exchange Brother Attaway is talking about. He, he takes our sin... And he gives us his righteousness. That's the great exchange. So, here's, here's the second thing. Because I said there's two things going on in propitiation. One is the, the removal of our sin, but the other one is, is, the, is the putting himself. It's, it's like if you can envision yourself, you know, sometimes we, you, sometimes we think of God as, as, as um, uh, about to bring the hammer down, right? You know, and just judgment. If you, you think of yourself in that position and then Christ 
steps in between. And he takes the punishment upon himself in our place. So he, he, takes, he takes our sin, as Brother Attaway pointed out, he takes our sin upon himself, and then he bears the penalty. And in this case, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you, maybe you took a spanking one time for a brother or sister or something like that, you know. <laughs> Big thing to do. But in this case, he's not just taking a, a, a beating with rods from a Roman soldier or something like that, although he did do all that, but, but not merely that. But he's taking the full measure of the outpouring of the wrath of the Father upon himself in our place. Now that's propitiation. He, he takes our sin. He bears our sin away and then he takes the punishment that we deserve for our sin in our place. That's propitiation. Let me give you a couple other verses where that, uh, like I said, it's mentioned four times. It's used four times. Um, another one is Hebrews 2.17. Back to Hebrews again. Remember Paul said in Romans 3, he, God set him forth as a, as a propitiation for our sins by his blood. That is, in his, in his death, he, he um, bore our sins away and took the took the punishment that we deserve. Okay, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So same, same, uh, same term there again. So that's, there again is the idea. Um, he had to be made like his brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that is, to bear away our sins, to carry our sins away, and, and to um, take upon himself the penalty for our sins. Okay, it's used twice in the little book of First John. These are the other two times. First John chapter two. And I'm going to all these because um, one reason is because this is a good um, like I said, it's not a word that we <coughs> you just you just use every day in everyday conversation. So so it's easy to um, forget about it or, or something like that. And, th and this is really an important term to know and to understand because Jesus is, as, we, as we're seeing here, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. This is what he did uh, in his life and death. 1 John 2, I'm going to start in verse 1, but it's used in verse 2. 1 John 2, 2, my... My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, so there again, you've got, uh, this is a different writer, this is the Apostle John, but you've got essentially the same thing Paul was saying in Romans. He says, Jesus is the propitiation, that is, he, he removed our sins, he carried our sins away, bore them away, and he took upon himself God's wrath in our place. He bore the penalty for our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins. Then he goes on to say, not for ours only, but for the, for the whole world. It's the same thing Paul was saying in, in Romans 3. In other words, not Jews only, but... Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, the whole world. In other words, 
there's one propitiation. That's what Paul is saying. That's what John is saying here. There's one. There's one propitiation for the world. I was, I was I, uh, hoping to uh, watch the debate that took place last night between Ken Ham and Bill Nye. I hadn't gotten around to uh, watching it yet. But uh, <coughs> interesting, you know, they, they, they come, I, mean, I know this just, just from reading uh, some of the comments about it, but interestingly, they, they come together to debate um, the existence of God and, and really, more specifically, is creationism uh, a, a reasonable position to, to take. I mean, that, that was really the main topic of the whole, the whole evening, and I think it lasted a couple hours. So it, is creationism a, a reasonable, you know, position to hold, or, or has science ruled that out? I mean, that's kind of what they were debating. But interestingly, in this debate that's supposed to be limited to, you know, weighing the evidence, you know, science supposedly versus Christianity, um, there's no real contradiction there, but that's the way they always frame it. Um, and, and at the very end, Bill Nye, in, in some of his closing remarks, says, wouldn't it, 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 he says, wouldn't it, something to the effect, that wouldn't it be unfair if God only spoke through this one book Isn't that interesting how that emerged, you know, in this uh, conversation that is just supposed to be about evolution versus creationism? Oh yeah, that's what they were. That's exactly what they were debating last night. Yeah, yeah. How many propitiations for sin are there? <laughs> How many? One. <laughs> Amen. That's right. Amen.
off his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I heard. He heard he did a good job. Amen. Very good. Yeah, they're 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 driving home the uniqueness of Christ and the and the supremacy of Christ and the primacy of Christ. I mean, that's what they're driving home. He he is the only way. Same same thing that Christ said himself. You know, he's it. That's right. That's right. It's,
Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, from from what I heard, Ken Ken Ham did a pretty good job of, uh, of staying focused on the gospel, and uh, so yeah, it sound sound like it was uh, it was good. All right, I'm gonna give you one more on propitiation here. First <coughs> John four ten, great verse also. First John four ten. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, so there you have it again. Je- Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He, he takes our sin away. He bears the wrath of God in our place. That's what he did at, 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 uh, at Calvary. He bore the full measure of the outpouring of the wrath of the Father in our place. Um, that's something to remember, you know, when, when you think about the atonement because, uh, you know, I never saw this, uh, this Mel Gibson movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ. I've heard a lot of people talk about it. <coughs> I've never seen it. But w- one reason it doesn't, you know, and I'm not saying, if you saw it, that's fine. I mean, I'm not, crit- I'm not being critical. But one reason it doesn't really um, appeal to me is, is because that's, that's, it's totally focused on one aspect which is the the physical suffering, uh, which, you know, and that, that was his intention, which is again is fine, but <laughs> a lot more went on when Jesus was on the cross 
than uh, and, and, and in terms of his, even just in terms of his suffering. You think about the suffering of Christ because it wasn't all while he was hanging on the cross. It, it uh, you know, you could, you could say it began in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before when he was, uh, when, when he was so um, you know, was filled with so much sorrow and, and, and so forth that he, you know, he was praying and sweating as it were great drops of blood. So there was, there was more to the suffering than the physical torture, which was horrendous. Um, but what took place while he was hanging on the cross was the bearing of the wrath of God for all of the sins of all of his people. Payment for every single sin for every single believer was made while Christ was on the cross. Now that's something that that nobody saw. You know, I mean, there were evidences of it. Uh, I think you know, even the even the 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 physical effects, like uh, like the 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 day going dark and and the earthquakes and that kind of thing, because there was so much going on in the spiritual realm. You know that the that creation could not be unaffected by it. And then Christ himself crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There were evidences of it that the people around saw, but nobody saw what was taking place when the wrath of the Father was being poured out on his beloved Son. Right. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Mm, I don't think I gave you that one, but that's... Uh-huh. Mm, I know what you're talking about. Amen. 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 All right. We're about out of time here. Any any other comments before we dismiss? All right. I guess we can just pray and say thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for providing propitiation for our sins. Amen. Because otherwise we we would uh, it, it would be bleak, and that's that's an understatement. But let's let's pray again. Father, we do again thank you for these precious truths, Lord, that you would be willing, out of your own good pleasure, not not out of necessity, but out of your own good pleasure and your desire to be merciful, you would be willing to send your own Son into the world to die for us, people who deserve your wrath. Yet, Father, you extended mercy. We want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for this, this truth that you have uh, made known to us, truth of propitiation, the removal of our sins, the substitutionary payment, uh, bearing of our penalty that was provided in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace. And Lord, uh, we pray, remind us again as we go through our daily lives at home and in the workplaces and so forth, remind us uh, continually of the grace that we have received and move our hearts to, to extend that grace to those around us for their good, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.